podcast with his holy mess father paul welcome back welcome uh to episode three i can't believe this is already episode three dave what do you think of that it's it's cruising you're making a lot of waves man i'm hearing a lot of good things about it and um you know i'm very very excited specifically excited about this next episode because uh when you told me this originally of what you were doing um i it was it was great for the timing you know it is halloween around the corner so exactly, it's kind of kind of yeah. makes sense uh but i'm very interested to uh to hear this interview yeah so we are having on uh what dave is alluding to is we're having on an exorcist a, a catholic priest who who is an exorcist and you know halloween is right around the corner right followed by all saints day and then all souls day literally three in a row october 31st halloween next day all saints day the next day after that all souls day and and um, so who better to talk to about, you know, ghosts, demons, goblins and spirits and, and goblins than, uh, than an exorcist. So uh, that's that's why I wanted to have him on. I uh, so it, yeah, listen, only because I was outside uh, and I did hear some of it. OK, it's it's very interesting. Um, I, I first of all, the fact that you shouted out the Ghostbusters by names. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I, I, I'm a big Ghostbusters fan. So. All right, so we could talk about that. We recorded it earlier. Yes. We, all right, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. all right. Okay, that's why I, I started to stutter because we're doing this intro after yeah, no, <laughs> the it, interview. People know in the in the world of podcasting, people know how all it right, goes. All right, cool, you know man. I mean? Good, good, good. Hey, this is a holy mess. First of all, <laughs> I was late to my own podcast. <laughs> was true. I not? Yes, you were. I was late, and not just by like five minutes, but by like 18 or 20. So like I am literally his holy mess. So thank Dave. Not lying. for his uh for his patience and uh yeah and uh and i i said hey i owe one to your wife because you're here late man because i went yeah yeah dinner's on the stove it'll be uh it'll oh be when I get there. man <laughs> so yeah well maybe your your daughter could uh to could uh say hi to big mary for me and i, I can get <laughs> she some, will yeah. she will Oh, so, um, but yeah, but you know, the one thing that like we didn't even get into was Halloween. Mm. We just got right into, uh, the whole thing on exorcisms and stuff. And I just thought like, look, it's a holy mess podcast this is a podcast for holy messes, but this is also a Catholic podcast. And the reality of the fact is that in the month of November, uh, is reserved as what we would call the month of remembrance, where we really remember, uh, the souls of people that have, that have gone before us. Um, some of you might want to know what's the difference between All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And I will just very briefly say that All Saints Day, we focus on the saints that we know are already in heaven. So the community of saints, what we would call the canonized saints, such as, you know, people that the church officially recognize that they are in heaven, like a like a Mother Teresa or a St. John Paul II, or, you know, like the, uh, you know, we would call them the the OGs, the St. Peter, the, the St. Paul, and, and things like that. And then the next day, All Souls Day, is where we pray for and we remember all of the souls that are in purgatory. So they may not be in heaven yet, they're on their way. So just to let people know that like purgatory is not a permanent place, okay? Heaven is eternal. Heaven is permanent. Hell is is eternal. Hell is permanent. But purgatory is not permanent. Purgatory, we would say, Dave, is kind of like a going through a... Is it the parkway in the summer? 
<laughs> is that like the new, new you know Garden what? State Parkway, right dead in the center, like right around like exit 100? I think it was the parkway today, okay? <laughs> what you right. would have took me 45 minutes, took me an hour and 10 to get here. Right. But we would say purgatory is more kind of like a uh, like a divine car wash where you know you're 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 being cleansed still cuz in order to go into heaven right you're supposed to be like pure and and almost immaculate and i mean we're really not right mm. so it's 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 another way of god's mercy some people might say well what do you, why do we need purgatory it's like god's it's kind of like Purgatory is almost kind of like going to confession, but like after you die, okay. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It's almost like another, another way of his, of, of, of his mercy. So that, so that would be the big thing, you know, like when my, when my brother passed a couple years ago, uh, I mean, let's just be honest. I like, I, when he passed, I was like, I, He's probably in purgatory. Like, I don't know if he's in heaven yet, you know, so I'm going to pray for him. You know what I mean? Like, if I die right now, I'm probably going to purgatory. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not, that's not a judgment. You know what I mean? Because I need some more cleansing and purification. Purgatory, is that a, is that um, something that determines one way or the other? No. Oh, great question. Great question. So, those that are in purgatory are, are definitely going to heaven. Okay. It's not like um, that's where he weeds out, you know, like you guys are going to go to heaven, you guys are going to go to hell. Gotcha. Like purgatory is for people that will eventually be in heaven. Well, that's so that's, that's a good news that's for good, that too. Good news. Yeah, good news for that too. <laughs> and we get into, you know, I don't have to talk about it now about hell and why people go to hell because he got into that uh, in, in the episode and stuff like that. But I just wanted to... Um, let all of you who are listening know that we will be remembering you and your loved ones, especially your loved ones in a special way in this month of remembrance. And the main thing that I want to say to you uh, on this, on this podcast is uh, that the only thing, the only thing that got me through my brother's passing is the belief that he really is in God's care, that he really does actually continue to live not just in my heart, not just in my mind, not just in my memories, but I have the belief that my brother's soul right now, and I do believe, Dave, that he's in heaven now, and that's a whole other story, right? I do believe that my brother is totally with God and that I could actually be with him one day again, not just for 32 years, uh, the amount of time that I had with him on earth because he was 32, but I have the hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I could be with him forever one day again in heaven. So that's the hope that we want to give all of you who in this month, some people call this the month of the dead. Other people call it the month of remembrance. Like there is hope. There is hope for more. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite lines of every funeral that I say is life has changed. It has not ended. Life has changed. It has not ended. So uh, that's my two cents on that for now. All right. So without further ado, let's get to it, man. Yeah, let's get to it. Uh, our uh, our guest, he remained completely anonymous. Uh, we get into that of why he's, uh, we're, we're going to keep it anonymous. You're not going to know his name. You're not going to know what his diocese, but he is a Catholic priest and he is an exorcist. And some bishops, they want the exorcist to remain anonymous uh, because otherwise uh, there's just, 20 different reasons why some uh, exorcists remain anonymous. Uh, and we're just going to respect that decision completely right now. But I think you're going to love this interview. Uh, so without any further ado, I bring uh, to you Father Ghostbuster. All right. Welcome. Welcome to a holy mess. Welcome back. Uh, we got my father brother here. Uh, we got uh, a great priest who is a catholic exorcist he will remain anonymous uh so i will be calling him many many different names throughout this to try to you know 
have a little comic relief, but uh, we want to welcome you, Father. Thank you so much to the uh, a Holy Mess podcast with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Father Paul, His Holy Mess. I'm super excited. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm excited. Thank you uh, very much. I appreciate you. You, uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and you were not always an exorcist, you know. So there was literally a point where you know I saw you, and you know you were not. And then I ran into a couple of you a couple of years later, and then you were. And um, you know, I've been saying to uh, some people, I even actually kind of put it in my comedy act, right? That. I was hanging out with this priest, this this priest that I haven't seen in a while, and we're hanging out, and he's like, you know what, Father Paul, you look like really stressed. Is everything okay, man? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I got this, I got this comedy show coming up, and you know, I'm doing stand up comedy. How am I gonna do uh, an hour set? And I'm really stressed out about, you know, the jokes, and you know, are people gonna laugh? And and you were like. Hey, man. Hey, man, I get it. I, I've been stressed, too. And I was like, why? What have you been up to? And you're like, well, you know, mostly exorcisms. <laughs> Most, and, I'm like, and then you're like, hey, but good luck with that comedy thing, though, man. <laughs> so I'm stressing out about doing stand up comedy as a priest. And meanwhile, you, you know, you have like, you know, a huge uh, spiritual army uh, ministry going on man so i just uh i thought that was funny bro <coughs> yeah that's hilarious oh. so i'm gonna assume that the majority of people that are listening right now uh the only thing that they have ever seen heard or read about an exorcist is something to do with the Hollywood movies. I'm just going to assume that, I mean, of course, there's a lot of Catholics that are listening to this and maybe they know, uh, have read, you know, an interview with an exorcist or an exorcist tells his stories. But I'm going to assume that majority of the people, they they really don't even have a clue. And you, Father, are their first introduction to a real life exorcist. So much to the fact that some people, I get this question actually somewhat often, is, is that even a real thing? Like, do they even exist? So my first question to you is like, how does one even become an exorcist? How did you become an exorcist? Yeah, so I think that it's a, it's a great question. I think it's unique for, for each priest that becomes an exorcist. I think first and foremost, it's kind of a, a call within a call, you know, it's a call uh, within the priesthood. And um, every priest to a degree, shares in uh, this ministry of Christ to different degrees. Not every priest becomes an exorcist, but every priest is called to participate in the healing and deliverance ministry of Christ, although that looks different in each one of our lives, depending on the ministry setting. Um, so really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a call in response to a need. So if there's a need for it, um, the Lord puts it on the heart of the bishop. Every every bishop should have an exorcist in his diocese. Every bishop is an exorcist. Um, he has the authority and the power. Us priests, we only have the power, and then we get the authority from the bishop. So he would appoint uh, a particular exorcist or plural exorcists for the diocese, depending on um, the need for, for that. Our diocese, for example, we definitely need one or two more. Um, I cannot do all of the work that needs to be done. Um, for me, it was unique. Um, I've been involved in 
deliverance ministry on and off for, I'd say, 20 years, not because I have a desire for it. It's because the Lord sends me people. So I, it's more of a response to a need um, that's coming to me. It's kind of like the hemorrhaging woman drawing power out of Jesus. It's like the church trying to draw something out of me. And um, to make a long story short, um, the priest of the diocese that I reside in, they kind of, uh, as being a religious priest, we don't have parishes, so they knew we had a little more availability. So they started sending me different people, sending us, the other brothers, fathers in the house, different people. And one of the cases that I had, um, clearly there was a high possibility that the person that was sent to me was possessed. I had them do a psychological evaluation. Everything came back with a clean bill of health. Um, I saw a few things that indicated to me um, there's a possession here. There's what we call primary signs. There's supernatural events happening. Um, called the called the diocese, called the chancery, talked to the vicar general, I talked to the bishop, and they said uh, we don't have a we don't have an exorcist. I said okay. Uh, well, what do we do then? They said, well, can you do it? I said, yeah, if that's what you're asking, sure. I said, just so you guys know, this is, I'm not looking <laughs> to do this, but, but if uh, there's no exorcist and you're giving me permission, sure, there's a need in the body of Christ. Like, not a problem. This is this is part of the priesthood. So I kind of got sucked into it, dragged into it, but um, I'm happy to do it. It's a beautiful ministry. And, you know, I think our our understanding of it is what we see on TV in Hollywood, but um, some of that's true. A lot of it's not, but it's a very beautiful ministry. I'm not afraid of it whatsoever. Do I get annoyed and disturbed and frustrated all the time because of the enemy's work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I get to see the power of God, the love and compassion of the Father, bringing healing, wholeness, and liberation. And it's very, uh, very moving uh, and a great, a special grace to be a part of that. And it has nothing to do with me, the, the exorcist, my level of holiness or sanctity or whatever. It's purely the power of the church and the power of God. So I'm just a, a mere instrument. The Lord just kind of a conduit, so to speak. Um, so everybody, I think, has a different version of how they were called. Some people just get a phone call and get appointed out of the blue. Hey, your next assignment, you're our full-time exorcist. You're going to go to Rome and get trained. You're going to go to uh, Mundelein in Chicago and go to the Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute for the next two years, and you're going to get trained to be an exorcist, and that's what you're going to be doing. So that's kind of how it happened for me. And then just to bring some clarity, there's a couple different permissions an exorcist can receive. It is, uh, you know, Canon 1172, he must receive special and express permission, which I have. That can come in written or oral form from your bishop or archbishop. You can be appointed kind of a full-time exorcist with full faculties, meaning the bishop doesn't need you to call him. Every single time you need to do an exorcist, you or exorcism, you kind of have these habitual ongoing faculties. Um, and then there's other guys like myself or, you know, famous exorcists that people may know. Some of the listeners, Father Chad Ripperger, he's got a lot of books, YouTube videos, etc. Kind of a well-known priest and authority on this stuff. He knows his stuff for sure. We have what's called ad octum, uh, permission from the bishop, meaning case by case. So uh, I can do, there's two chat, three chapters in the rite of exorcism, chapter one, two, and three, one's an introduction. Chapter three, I have permission, uh, habitual permission to use. Chapter two, which is the full-blown solemn rite, pulling out all the nuclear weapons, that I need to petition the bishop uh, for each person, each case, when I need to do an exorcism. And once he gives me permission to do that, 
uh, I can see it all the way through. So for example, I've been working with one person for just about a year and a half and they're still not fully liberated, but I haven't needed to get permission every single time I do an exorcism. And we've probably done uh, over 40, 50 with just that singular person. Wow. Uh, well, you, you just said a lot. <laughs> okay. I did. I did. Uh, I did. You, you just said a lot. Uh, so, but I'm going to pick one thing right now to go with from what you said. And thank you for answering that. I mean, it was a very, very thorough answer. And I think a lot of people just don't even know, like, how does it happen or why is there a need? And I mean, people might say like, well, you know, why? I mean, the fact that you said that there needs to be like, you know, two or three more in your diocese. I mean, that's something to talk about in and of itself so that, you know, evil is real, you know, and this podcast isn't about this episode today isn't about like, you know, just talking about the devil and demons to, you know, instill the fear of God. And, you know, you you better get back to church, but it's, it's a reality. It's something that we're scared to talk about today, but in the scriptures, in, in, especially in the gospels, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, the Lord came to destroy the works of the evil one. You know, so we're so comfortable talking about Jesus and the love of God, but we've gotten away from the reality of the presence of evil and the devil and demons. And not that we want to focus on them. We don't want to focus or have an unhealthy, uh, you know, uh, relationship in any which way. Sure. What's that? Yeah, we can also have like an unhealthy curiosity, you know, like the saying curiosity kills. And it's, it's very true, especially with the different kind of doorways that we can. Uh, kind of open that let the enemy in but really it's the ministry of exorcism is is needed and on the rise because uh sin is on the rise right anywhere where there is sin the enemy is going to be and um, any serious sin even a small sin can begin to crack the door open for him and there's a, a lot of mystery in this ministry um but yeah so it's a lot now you said something very interesting you said that it's kind of like a little bit like the Hollywood movies, but mostly not. So what do you mean by that? How is it, how is it different? How, how are the Hollywood exorcist movies not like the real thing, the real life? Because people want to know, like, what is it, what is it really like? So let's start off with what is the difference from what Hollywood shows us? Well, for example, even just regular movies, right? Sometimes it'll say, you know, in the introduction of the movie, based on, you know, real events, and then you have like inspired by real events. So I, there's always some truth uh, in the Hollywood stuff, but I, they want to sell. They want to make money, right? They want to they sell tickets. They want you to buy the movie. So I think that they overly dramatize everything. Like, are there supernatural things that happen? Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen a levitation. I know two priests that have. It does exist. It does, it does happen. But it's not the most common thing, right? Um, so I think they just overly dramatize a lot of the dimensions of, of the kind of external manifestations or the phenomena, so to speak, that we see. Well, they kind of have to, right? Because, I mean, it's a, it's a horror movie, essentially. Yeah. Their job is to, is to scare you, right? You Absolutely. Know? But, but it's interesting, though, because The Exorcist, like the famous movie from the 70s, is based off of... A, a true story as true many story. of the, Correct. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, <clears throat> not to get into that whole thing right now, but let's get even get back to more basic, like why the need for exorcism and why the need for exorcists? 
Well, I think there's a need for exorcism because people are afflicted, harassed, vexed, cursed, possessed, oppressed, obsessed, experiencing um, the afflictions of the enemy in so many different ways. And they don't have any other recourse because, you know, you can't go to your medical doctor when it's not a, a physical or physiological uh, issue, right? Uh, Jesus wants to heal us, body and soul. Um, it's even with exorcism, it's all about the whole of the person. So, for example, when somebody comes to me and they think they're possessed, you know, I'll ask them why or what's happening. Why do they think this happened? When did it start? There's a huge investigation that I kind of do. It's like major detective work and discernment. And I will always have them go if it's a serious case. They will always just go immediately to see the psychologist or the psychiatrist and get a full-blown evaluation to either, you know, uh, say there's nothing going on or yes, there is something going on on the psychological realm and we'll get that addressed as well. Um, sometimes we need to send people to get a physical or a, a MRI or a CAT scan of their brain to eliminate the possibility of there being any type of tumor that may be pressing on a particular part of the brain that could be causing, you know, auditory or visual hallucinations. So we do take uh, a holistic approach because that's what Jesus is interested in. And if it's something of the physical realm, for example, a tumor in the brain and the person's, you know, having auditory hallucinations and hearing voices, well, me giving them an exorcism is not going to help. But if the root of their problem is it's because they did the Ouija board, or committed adultery or made a pact with the devil or you know they were part of a satanic cult and now they're turning to the lord well yeah i can help them uh and unfortunately you know you just turn on the tv or uh look at google and the things that you know just come up on the pop-up ads i mean there's so much new age and crystals and psychics and mediums and all these tv shows and ghost shows i mean there's just so many ways in which we can let the enemy in and it's a little bit of a mystery as to why some people become possessed and some people don't. Some people use the Ouija board once, they're possessed. Other people do it for 20 years and nothing happens to them. Um, so that's where the mystery lies. But we don't always need to know every detail. We just pull the prayers out and the prayers do the work. All right. So, again, you just gave me a lot of stuff to work with there. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on two things of what you just said. One. Um, I think it was very important that you just made the point that like the church Catholicism, like we don't, we don't deny science and medicine and doctors. You don't just automatically, you know, perform an exorcism on somebody that comes to you because they're having these thoughts. You just said that they get checked with a therapist, uh, a doctor, a social worker. So it's not like somebody comes to you and you're like, oh yeah, you're possessed. Like, no, we, we work. You, you just said we take a holistic approach. That's Correct. very important. And I love that you said that because, you know, we're, we're not just like, you know, spiritual only. We're body, we're, we're physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional beings. And the church recognizes all of that. We don't just go, oh, okay, yeah, you must be possessed. Like, no, you get it checked out first, right? Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I approach things very skeptically. I mean, I'm not a skeptic, but... We want to be very discerning and prudent. For example, you know, if somebody comes to me that's bipolar, well, they could still be possessed, or if they're schizophrenic, it could be it could be both things going on. 
but I don't want to just immediately assume that it's the work of the devil, right? That he's under every rock. Possession is much as it is on the rise. It is still an anomaly, right? It is still very rare. Uh, it does happen. Usually the problems is oppression or obsession. And I think a lot of people's problems could be fixed with just uh, having a, a living faith, you know, using the sacraments frequently uh, with faith. I mean, it's been said by so many exorcists. I think Father Gabriel Morth is kind of the, the first one that said it, or maybe even Padre Pio, but like one confession is worth like a hundred exorcisms. And it's, and it's true. I've done so many exorcisms where you see that they're just very ineffective. It's like me just kind of taking out a squirt gun and the, the enemy's laughing at me because <laughs> there's, there's still, there's still sin in their life, right? There's still mortal sin operating habitually and they're just afraid to tell me and it's unconfessed and I, I have no power then. I can't do a single thing. Well, it's not me anyways, it's the power of God, but, but Jesus can't be at work when we don't want him to work, right? So we gotta, we gotta go all in, use the sacraments, so I'll have people do that kind of, I know Father Chad Ripperger gets people on a very strict protocol of, you know, daily prayer, Angelus, some of his prayers that are called the Auxilium Christianorum. There's an app for that with daily, daily mild deliverance prayers. He gets people praying. The what do you faith. Uh, it's called the Auxilium Christianorum. And I'm just, just, uh, mess, I'm just messing with you. It sounds complicated, yeah. but I'll look at, I'll yeah. look into it. It's, it's Latin. He loves his, he loves his Latin, but in like, any case, hey, it's, well, just, Latin is powerful, right? The devil don't like is. Latin. Am I right on oh, that? Let me, let me tell you, I'm not, I have no agenda with the Latin. Like I love languages, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, you know, read the scriptures in the original languages. I love the, the tongue of the church. And let me tell you, there's something to it. There's two different rites of exorcism. You have the, the older rite, uh, the Latin rite, and then you have the English rite. And the English rite focuses more on the theology of baptism, which is very beautiful, important, and powerful as well. And the Latin rite, it's more like a hammer. It's like taking a sledgehammer and just beating the devil, pounding him down. It's like spiritual waterboarding with a bunch of theological truths and some very powerful prayers with a lot of grit. And that tortures him. Uh, sometimes when I do the English, he, he literally will, the demons will laugh at me and they'll mock me. And they're like, oh, are you asking me? Like, oh, could you please leave? You know, and it's like, I, I have to hold back my laughter uh, at them because they're just so arrogant and ridiculous. Um, it's it's almost comical. So are you telling me that the demons have a sense of humor? I'm just messing with you. I, uh, I, no, no, I that's mean, powerful. Something's going on there. I mean, no, I that's, think it's all <clears throat> pride. What's that? I said, I think it's all pride, to be honest. Yeah, of course. You. Yeah, pride. definitely. I look, I'm trying to the audience listening, like I'm trying to be a comic relief because this is a very, you know, a, a very serious, very intense stuff. So um, we want we want to get it all. So I, I, I warn them, I'm going to try to make some jokes here and there, uh, you know, uh, not to make light of the topic matter. But oh, most definitely. Uh, yeah, but no, it's that's powerful, powerful that the you're telling me that the Latin is more powerful. And that's not an agenda. Right. But that's just the reality of your experience. That's that's my experience and yeah. the experience of many other priests. And I and I'm not saying I don't. Is the English, English translation newer? Is it, it is it much more new? It is, it is newer and there's been a bunch of different revisions. So it's it's much better. And I but I would say I think they're complementary. So I use both. I wouldn't just use the Latin or just the English. I think I think they go hand in hand. I think they both have beautiful things to offer. So, for example, in the English rite, um, the one who's possessed will 
you know, profess their faith. They'll, you know, um, do their baptismal vows, um, you know, renounce the enemy, sin, Satan, and all his works. And there's there's something to that as well. Uh, big invocation of the litany of the saints in the beginning. I mean, there's a lot of beauty there. I'm not saying it's worthless, but for some reason, it just seems like the Latin rite is, is a little more powerful. Sure, sure. Now, does anything happen if you uh, do the exorcism in pig Latin? No. I haven't tried that yet. Well, there would right. be no authority, right? So. Don't don't do maybe, it. Maybe well, the, you, maybe, well, there's maybe something the to that. There's something in. to the pigs and and demons because Jesus drove out the demons and they went into the pigs and then they all like yeah, jumped off true. the uh, the thing. But <laughs> so, I have heard them squeal like pigs before, so there is there is something there. Yeah, because you're you're knocking the the snot out of them, man. Uh, I mean, Jesus is. So all right. Uh, so there is a ritual though, right? Like you're not just pulling out a crucifix and saying, you know, the power of Christ compels you get out. Like there is a, an actual rite of exorcism. I don't think people really know that. Yeah, that is true. It is called the, the solemn rite of exorcism and it is a, it is a sacramental. So it's not a sacrament. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it is the prayer of official prayer of the church. So it kind of draws on the treasury of the church, so to speak. And that's why, Although it's helpful if the priest is a faithful priest, a prayerful priest, um, exorcisms similar to the sacraments aren't dependent on his personal level of sanctity. Mm. Um, and it really, honestly, it protects us from thinking uh, that it has anything to do with us. You know, I think for, for one moment, if I were to think, oh, look at what I'm doing, look at how powerful I am. I mean, I would I would fall like lightning, you know, very quickly. So it's it's all the Lord for sure. Oh, that yeah, that so basically what you just said without saying it is that you can be a holy mess and also an exorcist. That is very correct, and I I think I might have to admit uh, I am a holy mess myself. Well, this is a podcast for holy messes, so you wouldn't you would not be allowed on here. You would not be allowed to be interviewed if I did not personally know that you were a holy mess. And you are. All right. Let's just put it that I, way. No, I, yeah. No, let's I'm, be honest with ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We didn't even get into like your, your history. And so, I mean, you're a person, you're a human being, right? You're not like the exorcist. You, you were, you know, conceived and born a, a, a boy and became a man. And then, you know, at some point went into the seminary and became a priest and, and now you're an exorcist, but like you're, you're a human being and, uh, you know, with a family and, and, uh, you know, uh, you, you have, well, not like, you know, you're, you don't have a family in terms of like a wife and kids. That would be very odd to talk about right now. Um, but, uh, in terms of like, you know, parents, uh, sisters, brothers, stuff like that. So, but now you talked about going to these different schools. All right. So that's another thing I want to, I want to focus on. So like, how do you become an exorcist? Yes. The bishop makes you one like allows you to be one right but then you go off to these quote unquote schools you know and i know you know a little uh tongue-in-cheek like some of you guys actually call it ghostbuster school is that is that true yeah some of us joke about it and call it ghostbuster school to kind of kind of lighten it up a little bit you know we can get too serious and it is important to as you said you know not to not to focus on the devil and to be honest with you for like for myself I'm not, I mean, I have a bunch of books on my shelf and I, I haven't even looked at probably 80% of them. I'll open them up as I need to, but I don't want to have a spirituality of uh, deliverance and exorcism. I mean, we need a very Christocentric 
spirituality. We need to keep our eyes fixed on fixed on Jesus. And if there's something we don't understand, which is quite often because this stuff is so far beyond uh, our realm, we're dealing with uh, supernatural beings that have existed far longer than we have. So they're they're very smart, very smarter than us, and have a lot more you know power than us. So um, we just really have to rely on on the power of God and. Um, be very human. You know, I, I still enjoy having fun. Like you said, I have a family. I love my family. I mean, exorcism. Yes, I'm an exorcist, but uh, exorcism is something that I do. I don't consider it who I am. I consider myself, you know, a son of God uh, and a priest and a sinner. Um, and it's like, okay, one of the ways I, I uh, serve as a priest is in the ministry of exorcism. You know, I think for the rest of this interview, I'm going to refer to you <clears throat> as uh, Father Peter Venkman or as Father Raymond Stans, or as Father Egon Spengler, or Father Winston Zettimore. Do, do you have Do you have any idea who that who they are? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Father Buster, man. You no, know, I I gotta share a funny story. Let me share this story real quick. Yeah, so, please share, dude. This is all about, dude. Come on, bring some humor dude, to you, it. I we, you can't make this up, and I I even took a picture of it because I realized people may not even believe me. So. When, once I started dealing with this, I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get involved in this, but I, I just can't seem to escape it. I'm, I'm running from it all the time and it just shows up at my door. I mean, people call, I'm the one that picks the phone up. Somebody knocks on the door. I answer it. You just, you can't, you can't literally, you can't make this up how this went down. And so yes, I approached the Bishop and he, you know, gave me permission and I was, I wasn't shaking in my boots, but I was, I was humbled. And I remember I was driving to go celebrate mass somewhere. And I said, I didn't ask the Lord for a sign, but it was kind of on my heart. Like, Lord, if this is really you, like, you're going to have to be with me and guide me. I just, I really don't feel qualified for this yet. I do have some experience and knowledge. And I knew of the, you know, the Pope Leo, the 13th Institute is what I would need to go to and attend, sign up for. And I was thinking of that and, okay, it's a two-year program. There's four modules, two modules a year. And I pull up to a, a stoplight and I look at the car in front of me and the license plate straight up says Ghostbuster on it. Get like, out of here, man. I'm like, all right, Lord, I guess this is you. You know, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. But just kind of showing me the Lord has a sense of humor, you know. And yeah, the of that? he does. The Lord does. I mean, not that demons are funny, but... Um, you know, uh, that this is the reality. I mean, the Lord confirms our vocations in that way. And like you said, you didn't ask for this, right? You, you, you were asked to do this. And like the Lord told the apostles, like you did not choose me. I chose you. And for whatever reason, you, uh, father Buster, uh, you were chosen to be an exorcist because the reality is, right? I mean, we want to spread joy. We want to spread love. We want to spread peace. But there's a lot of darkness. There is evil. There is a, a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of evil. There are demons and there is the devil that, that hates, hates, hates God and hates humanity. And this ministry is needed. I don't want to say now more than ever because I haven't lived in other times in history. But like, I mean, I, I almost want to say that. So, I yeah. mean, thank you for saying yes. And praise be Jesus Christ that the Lord confirmed your vocation uh, in that. So thank, anyway, yeah. thank you for sharing that, that story. Now, I, I, I want to get into one more question before we get into some of what I would call the more interesting stuff. But 
uh, if you don't mind, just to speak for a, a little bit at least, what what is it like when you go to this, you know, exorcist school, this this Ghostbusters school? Yeah, so I think one of the most helpful things for me was is just the uh, the solidarity and fraternity of being with the ex the other exorcists. I think my quote graduating class. I think there were seventy one of us, so quite a few, wow. but just being able to get to know some of those guys to kind of establish some relationships and friendships and uh, networking to be able to reach out. Like I know one or two of them, I've gone and covered their parish for them or done a parish mission at their parish and then been able to spend a little time with them, um, just enjoying their company as friends, but also, you know, discussing our different cases and, um, yeah, you learn a lot about the demonology or theology, spiritual theology. You go over different case studies. Um, there's always a psychiatrist uh, that's a part of the the school. So you you cover the full spectrum uh, the best that, that you can, A to Z. You get massive amounts of information that, you know, you'll be studying on your own for the next uh, months that, that follow uh, each module there. Um, but they do, they do really prepare you well for that. A lot of what the guys do too, is they go and sit in on another session or a week's worth of sessions with a seasoned exorcist. Uh, I haven't done that yet as an exorcist. I did it before I was a priest, but I'm about to do that. Um, I won't mention his name, but one of the seasoned exorcists in the United States is kind of on the, the top of the rung for knowing what he's doing. He, he invited me to come spend three days with him and sit in for some of his sessions, just so I could see how he does it. You know, people ask me, well, what do you do? Like, how do you, I'm like, I just pray the right. Like I just, I'm just faithful to what the church asks. I mean, there's, there's really nothing else. Like I said, it, it doesn't really, it's not dependent on you. Um, but it, since it's a sacramental, there are some tweaks that you can make as far as like some guys will, We'll take a take a break and then have the team. There's always a lay team of men and women there with you. They'll pray. Um, but the school, I felt like Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute, it, it prepared me well. There's also a school in Rome, and there's a association for us called the um, International Association of Exorcists. And there's a yearly conference. There's some networking there, so that's also uh, very helpful and available for for exorcists. Um, so there's a lot of resources if you need it. All right. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for sharing that. And why, why a devil? Why demons in the first place? You know, there's people out there that are like, if God is so loving, right? Like, why, why is there a devil? Why are there demons? Why does God allow evil? Now, I, I realize that those are a, a couple of different questions, the question of evil and you know, why is there a devil in and of itself? But is there anything that you could speak to that, that people are even like, why, like, why is there a devil and why does God allow it? And, and maybe you could even include into that. Why does God allow people to be possessed? If God is so loving, why does he allow the devil to oppress and possess people? So I just asked you about 20 questions in one. However yeah, you want to go with that. I'm, I'm doing, you just did to me what I've been doing to you, but yeah, bro, um, I had to get so, you back at some point. I know, I know. And I'm cutting, I'm, you know. Those are some great questions. Um, well, first of all, I think the gift of our free will is one of the most beautiful things God has given us. Um, as human beings, you know, we're created in the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. 
we, we don't say that angels or spiritual beings are created in his image and likeness, but they are beautifully created, uh, wonderful beings. And they, similar to us, they, they had a free will, um, you know, but they made one decision. They had one opportunity to exercise their free will and all of the, you know, the devil himself, you know, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, and all of the, the other fallen angels or evil spirits or demons, they they made a choice to reject God and they are being punished for all of eternity. Um, so they they became what they chose. You know, it's like you could also ask, like, why does hell exist? Well, people basically choose to go there. It's 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 their free choice. Uh, God permits that actually because he loves us. Um, if we didn't have the ability to make a free choice, we'd be like robots. We wouldn't be able to even love, right? We wouldn't be able to grow in love. Um, it's very difficult to answer the question, why does God permit evil? Why does he permit suffering? So I don't claim to have the perfect answer for that. Much ink has been spilled over that. Um, but a I think we could, yeah, I think we could say that he permits it for our greater good. So he doesn't allow somebody to become possessed or oppressed or obsessed because he's punishing them. He's allowing it to happen as a loving father, almost as if, you know, like scripture says, a father chastises a son whom he loves. Um, it's in his mercy, really, that he allows it because it wakes us up. Wow. If the devil is this real, God must be this real too, you know? Um, and hopefully, I mean, the, the, the ultimate goal of it is to to get the heart, you know, change, to have the heart turn more fully towards God. And and I could say through my own experience, and I've heard Father Ripperger say it as well, some of the holiest people that he knows have been people that were possessed at some point in their life. So the Lord can turn you into a great saint um, if you've experienced demonic affliction. Wow. And similarly, some of the saints, I got a list here of 20 saints that I uh use as intercessors and ask for their their prayers that were either afflicted or vexed oppressed or possessed by the devil himself i mean uh saint miriam of bethlehem was demonically possessed for 40 days uh through no fault of her own i mean she used to curse out mother superior uh she was kind of like a, a modern day job of her time you know the lord said similar to, to job you know you could do anything to job except take his life and that's basically what the devil did to uh, Sister Miriam of Bethlehem, a holy Carmelite nun. Uh, she was absolutely tortured and tormented and possessed by the enemy. You look at Mother Teresa. Many people don't know this. And they're going to challenge me for saying this. But she was oppressed by the devil. She was not possessed. Uh, Father Rufus Pereira performed three solemn rites of exorcisms over her because she needed it. Prayer wasn't enough. The sacraments were not enough. The Lord was permitting something to happen to her kind of uh, for the greater good. It may have been for her greater sanctity. It may have been for uh, an intercessory manner. So kind of follows along the lines of kind of this victim soul or redemptive suffering theology, which I think is very, very legitimate. I think the exorcists are kind of divided on it. Like some think that it's possible, some think that it's don't, that it's not possible. Um, but clearly through my, you know, research, um, there is some historical evidence of this taking place in the lives of many of the saints, right? Um, even during their, their life of holiness, during their sanctity. So we're not talking pre-conversion like St. Mary of Magdalene here. 
St. Mary of Magdalene, yeah. We're talking like Gemma Golgani, right? She petitioned for an exorcism. She never got it. She used to talk to her guardian angel. She was afflicted all the time. Wow. I mean, all right, man. I don't know if this, <laughs> I mean, you just dropped, you dropped bombs. Okay. I mean, I never heard this thing about. He was oppressed and beaten up one night by the devil. So, so that's very real. St. Colette, Colette of Corby, Nicholas of Tolentino. I mean, the list goes on and on. All right. I, I think we just experienced a little bit of technical difficulty because I started talking and then I was hearing you talk. Did you, did you hear, I didn't did hear, you hear what I said? I didn't, hear, I didn't hear you talk at all. No, sorry. I was saying that like you definitely just dropped a couple bombs. Um, I mean, this, you know, this thing on mother Teresa, I had never heard about before. You're saying that now it's important to make, to clarify, like she was not possessed. She did not have an exorcism done on her, but you're saying that she was, can you explain what that means of, of a saint, somebody like mother Teresa being oppressed and yeah, what so the difference is of what happened to her by the priest rather than an exorcist. Sure. So Technically, she did receive an exorcism. Now, let me just clarify first. A lot of times people will say, you know, oh, I, I, Father, I just received an exorcism for Father so-and-so. And I'll say, well, I don't think you did because he's not the exorcist of our diocese. He prayed deliverance prayers over you. He prayed prayers of liberation, which we can say are a minor exorcism. So there's a difference between a minor exorcism exorcism. And a major exorcism, a major exorcism would be the exorcist who has that special and express permission of the bishop using the solemn rite of exorcism, the prayer of the church. So it has chapter two and chapter three. So I think with Mother Teresa, I don't know for certain, but it, I know for certain she received three exorcisms. Um, the priest probably used chapter three, which is basically the prayer of St. Michael against the fallen angels. It could be used for a person, a place. Right. Or a thing. Right. So could be said, oh, any priest can say that over his rectory or his church. Any diocesan priest has permission to do that. He may not realize that, um, but he can pray that uh, over his domicile or the buildings or property um, that are under his jurisdiction. He cannot pray it over a person because then it would become an exorcism. So with Mother Teresa, once again, not being possessed, being oppressed by the devil, afflicted, right, kind of tormented or harassed, and it was even aff afflicting her physically to where I think it was almost like she was paralyzed at one point. It was affecting, you know, her muscles and her, her movement, and she was just laying in bed. So the priest, you know, came with the other sisters and, and prayed it over her in her, her room, her little cell or whatever. Um, so yeah, she needed that because the prayers of the sisters and all of those that were interceding for her and her obviously being a holy woman and a, a woman of prayer and using the sacraments frequently, doing day, probably multiple daily holy hours, yet somehow the enemy still had access to her. So it was through no fault of her own, um, not coming from within, coming from without. It was extrinsic, kind of coming from the outside. The Lord just permitting that to happen. And we don't always know why. There's a lot of mystery there. Um, you know, we, we always have, you know, when in hindsight, we have 2020 vision. So, you know, she's in heaven with God now. Well, now she gets it. She understands how that was a benefit uh, for her and to her and the body of Christ. Um, but when you're going through it, when you're in the eye of the storm, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. And we just have to trust like, okay, Lord, I know you love me. Um, I know you care about me. I know you want me to get to heaven. I don't know why I'm suffering, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. 
uh, familially. There's so many different ways that that we can suffer redemptively. Um, and there's a lot of mystery there, as I said, but I think it's just part of carrying our cross that if we're disciples of Christ and we're following him, we are going to recapitulate his life, right? The entire Paschal mystery, passion, death, and resurrection, right? It doesn't start with the resurrection. It starts with the passion. It starts with Calvary. Well, where does Calvary end? You know, Mount Golgotha. Well, that's the cross. Uh, we're all going to have to mount that one day. All right, Holy Messes, that was part one of my interview with uh, Father Ghostbuster there. Uh, uh, we hope that you enjoyed that one. And please, please come back next week for, for part two. You're not going to want to miss it. God bless you.